0: are looking at a passage in scripture that we've already looked at before we're looking at exodus chapter 2 and this time we're going to comb through it again um, with an emphasis on looking at the mother of moses her mother was named his, his mother was named Jochebed. so uh, let's turn to exodus chapter 2 1 through 10. And we'll read it, and then we'll talk about his mom. Because today is Mother's Day, and uh, Mother's Day is not in the Bible. Um, It was started by by a mom after the Civil War who um, thought about moms from both sides that had lost children and it became popular hallmark likes it the chocolate companies like it the flower companies like it (laughs) so there was a lot of motivation to move it on but uh, we think that it's worthy to honor moms and women on mother's day and we've been doing that for years we make an emphasis out of honoring moms honoring women in fact if you were here last year we were in genesis outside and we went through Genesis 1 through 3. And when God creates the heavens and the earth and he creates people, he creates man. And it's the first time that he says that, he says that it's not good. It's not good that the man would be alone. And so he ends up, uh, he ends up creating a woman. And when, when he brings the woman to the man, God said it was very good after he finishes it all. The crowning achievement of God's creation is when he created the woman. He said, then it was very good. So when I say woman, you need to say very good. Want to try it? Woman. Very good. So when I, throughout this morning, when I say woman, you're going to say... We're going to do it more enthusiastically though, right? So I'm going to say... Women, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, it is Mother's Day, and um, I appreciated what Rachel said that um, Mother's Day is a hard day for a lot of people. Uh, it's a, it's a difficult day for a lot of people. Um, women who wanted to be moms who aren't, women who have kids who aren't what they had hoped that they. We're going to be lots of things. Um, Being a mom is frazzling in and of itself. It's like the woman who answers her phone. She answers the phone and uh, on the other end of the phone, somebody says, how are you doing? And she said, terrible. My head is splitting. My back and my legs are killing me. The house is a mess. The kids are driving me crazy. And then she says, listen, I'll come right over. I'll help you cook lunch, clean the house and watch the kids by the way, how's Sam?" And she said, Sam? I don't know anybody named Sam. And she goes, oh my word, I've got the wrong number. And there was a long silence. And she said, will you come over anyway? (laughs) So it's just, uh, it's a hard road to hoe. You know, it's a hard road to hoe for humans, but I I think that, uh, that women often have it especially difficult. And so we learn from the Bible The subject of mothers is not always one that is full of joy, and it's not always one that's full of good feelings. But often in the Bible, when you're talking about moms and talking about women, it's often associated with pain, suffering, and a mixture of feelings and emotions. So it is true that not everybody on Mother's Day is feeling um, the graphics that you see when you go into... Walgreens or wherever else you go and everything is is happy. Well, um, oftentimes when you're talking about women and moms in the Bible, it's not that way at all. And I think as Rachel said, that many moms are feeling that today. So um, for some, let's just, let's just get it out. For some, Mother's Day increases a sense of loss. Um, many of us have experienced the loss of our moms. Some of us here don't know our birth moms. And this is a day where you're supposed to be honoring your mom, but if you don't even know your birth mom, how do you do it? Well, you honor your mom. We have certain things in common. That's why when you meet somebody you don't know, you'll talk to them about things like the weather. Why? Because you share weather together, right? Um, Why don't we just, when we meet someone, say, Who's your mom? <laughs> because we all share moms. Every single one of us has a mom. Every single one of us. Every single one. Even if you don't know where your mom is. And so coming to church should give us hope. It should give us solace. And, and yet the talk about moms sometimes, let's get it out, like Rachel said, it increases the pain for some people. So we're going to see right here that moms are the most powerful, influential, vital force on planet Earth outside of god himself and if you become anything it's because you have a mom everybody has one and there's no political governmental educational military agency that has greater power or potential than a mom yes absolutely that's why ball players grammy winners oscar winners when they bring them up, they look into the camera, and what do they say? They lean over. What do they say? Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> Mom. Let's say this about moms before we get into this, this scripture here. By the time an average American child right now is 18 years old, they will watch two or three years of screen time. The average. Now, some of you don't let your kids do any screen time. In fact, some of the people who don't let their children do screen time are some people who create the screens and who are on the screens. Madonna was like that. She never never let her kids do screen time. She was like, I don't want them watching that junk. But there's all of this screen time, two or three full years of it. Yet moms have a stronger influence than that. And people talk about that, oh, the screen time. Well, yes, but moms have a stronger influence in screen time, guaranteed. It says her children will rise up and call her blessed, and we are going to do that at the end of this meeting. We are going to stand up, and we are going to call moms and women blessed. We're going to do that. So environment is not the most important shaping factor. We'll see that in the life of Moses and his mom in a minute. That is a secular, ungodly myth environment is not the most important shaping factor you can grow up anywhere and do well you can grow up in any circumstance and do well especially if your mom is there hope helping you and guiding you along next story on the platform there we had a guy come one time he runs a, a, he brings in he brings in refugees in providence and he, he gets them trades uh, i think his organization is called beautiful day they make granola and they, te- they make the granola they make some money teaches them skills gets them um, acclimated into society his family grew up in Vietnam during the war as missionaries and while they were missionaries in Vietnam during the war the State Department told them that they could no longer protect them and they said you need to get out of here need to get out of vietnam but his dad had gone there to translate the bible and he wasn't done and so he told the state department i'm staying and they said then don't call us because we can't protect you i'm telling you we can't protect you it's getting bad where you are and they said we're staying and so they did end up protecting them sometimes but uh, keith when he stood next door he said you know This whole idea of environment and what you grow up around affecting you, if you have the right influences in your life, you can do great under any circumstance wherever you were brought up. He said, I remember growing up in Vietnam and getting picked up in, in helicopters and being ferried from one place to the other place. He said, I didn't know what was going on. He said, I didn't know that we were living in the midst of a war. But there in the midst of a war, he grew up and here he is just continuing in the tradition of his dad, the tradition of his mom, the things that they taught him. So environment environment means little if you have parents who are um, being influential in your life. So the fact, one more thing about moms before we get into it, the fact that God would use a human mother to bring his son into the world has bestowed upon motherhood its greatest honor that God would use a woman to bring his son into the world, bestows upon motherhood the greatest honor, greatest honor that could be on the planet. So um, chapter 2. And here's what we're going to look for. As we go through chapter 2, we're only doing 10 verses. Look for these three things. Jochebed is her name. You find that out in chapter 6. She had Moses. She hid Moses. She held Moses. And then she handed him over to God. And that's the same thing that happens with moms and happens with children. Mom had you. I don't know if your mom hid you. (laughs) Holds you and hands you over to God. Chapter 2, verse 1. There was a man of the tribe of Levi and he married a Levite woman. You can read more about them in chapter 6. Oh, that's right. See, only one person. Only one person. So... At the end, we're going to give out chocolate at the end. And at the end, you're going to get a double portion. We're going to, we're going to give you twice as much chocolate as everyone else. <laughs> so you ready? Now, there was a man of the tribe of Levi, and he married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw he was a fine child, and she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, and she coated it with tar and pitch, the same thing that Noah did with the ark. Made it waterproof on the inside, made it waterproof on the, in, on the outside. And then she placed the child in it, did exactly what Pharaoh asked her to do, put the child in the Nile. She placed the child in it and she put it in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her female slave to go get it. She opened it up and she saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then her sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women? Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women? To nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she said. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to be Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And so this is how an act of devotion towards God changes history and frees a people. Her name is Jochebed. You learn that in chapter 6. And uh, she plays a very significant role in his early life and in his lasting influence. In the book of Acts chapter 7, it tells us some more information that's not given to us in the book of Exodus about Moses. And it says, At the time that Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. And for three months he was cared for in his father's house. But when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought her as his own. Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in speech and action. In all of that upbringing, his mom got him early. It says it when he was weaned, Pharaoh's daughter takes him and brings him into the house. Now, we don't know how old that is. In, in the scriptures, Isaac is weaned when he's about five or six years old. So however old he is, she is putting all of this stuff into him as fast as she can. Just sticking it into, she knows the stories. You see, um, these people, the family of Abraham, they know their family story. They know the story of Abraham having come from Mesopotamia, the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, and that God calls him out because there were all kinds of nations, all kinds of nations. There were all kinds of people, but there was no people of God. And so God takes this one man, Abraham, and he says of him that you're going to be the father of the people of God. You're going to be the father of the people of faith. And he tells him your descendants will be like the stars in the sky or like the sand in the sea. And so she knows this story. She knows her family history. She knows her family story. And she knows everything that went on with that story. And I'm sure she's telling Moses about his family, where he came from and who he is. It's valuable to know who you are, where you come from, what your story is. It's very valuable. And she, she's telling him about Joseph, I'm sure, because it was Joseph that went down into Egypt. And, and Joseph in Egypt takes 25% of the story of Genesis. Now Moses poses, uh, uh, pens Genesis. He's the one who writes it. So he probably got that from his mom, where she's putting all of that stuff in him telling him who he is, telling him who God is, telling him who we are as a people. And Moses gets it. They say it's the Jesuits, but other people say it was maybe Aristotle, who said, just give me a child for seven years and then after that you can have him. Just give me a child for seven years, after that you can have him. Just, Just sticking everything into this child as quickly as she can, giving him all of the content, all of the knowledge, knowing who he is, knowing who his family is, knowing who God is. So this woman, Jacobet, she's a woman of faith. And she imparts her faith to her son. And her faith is tried by fire. People say, well, it's not really faith until it's tried. Well, her faith was tried. And she's a teacher. She has three children. She has three children, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And all of her children serve the Lord. Uh, Miriam becomes a worship leader. All of her cho- children serve the Lord. She taught her children. She was faithful to train Moses. That word train in the scripture, when it says train up a child in the way he should go, the word train comes from the word to break a wild horse. <laughs> How do you train? up yep, Your children is like breaking a wild horse. Just break that thing in. And and she has trust in God, for her children. She trusts God for her children. She gave God her child, and God gave him back. It, and that really is the lesson anyway. Is that children are just on loan from God anymore. Anyway, uh, we'll we'll see more of that as we go on. But as a mother, as a mother, us mothers here have more opportunity than Jochebed in her child's life. Everything was against this lady. You see, you can't control ultimate adult choices. But you can control the quality and the quantity of input. You can't control the adult choices, but there is a promise, Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he will go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, I know because... We, many of us have prayed together saying you know my children i don't know about that proverbs 22 6 because my kids are just i don't know what in the world is going on with them they go well how do you read that and they go i read it where it says that train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it but what where do you want to put the emphasis i put the emphasis on old that's where the promise is <laughs> and if he's going in the way before he's old then great what a what a great benefit you got but when he's old just keep praying for them we're going to close it with this concept here is that your child can run away from your presence i ran away from my parents presence when i was 15 years old didn't come back didn't come back left when i was 15 so you can you can run away from your your parents presence but you can't get away from their prayers <laughs> You cannot, their prayers will follow you anywhere. You cannot get away from their prayers. In fact, before I came to Christ, there was a, a girl who was praying for me. I think it was every Tuesday night she would pray for me. And, and looking back after I'd learned that that every Tuesday night they were praying, I was like, no wonder like my Wednesdays were so miserable, <laughs> <You> know, just, <laughs> just praying for me praying for me you can't get you can't get away from mom's prayers you can get away from her her presence and again all that all the peers all the videos all the teachers all the going to the university of the sun i can't can't get away from mom's influence and then she had moses she hid moses she holds moses and she hands him over to god so she had Moses. She had Moses. Here it is. Now there was a man of the tribe of Levi married a woman. This is a, this is a neighbor. Oh. Here we go. There was a man of the tribe of Levi that was married to a Levi woman. This is a, this is a boy meets girl, uh, girl next door story. They're from the same tribe. Same lineage, growing up in the same environment, probably knew each other maybe as children. And so before Moses is born, Pharaoh decides that every male child born to a Hebrew woman was to be thrown into the Nile. Why? Because he saw that the Hebrews were growing strong and that if there was ever a rebellion, if there's enough of them, they're going to join those who are rebelling or going to war against Egypt and help overthrow it so he wanted all the guys gone didn't want any guys same thing happens when jesus is born and king herod wants to kill every boy that's born and he gives a number of years from this point on we want them all dead and so that decree that decree one of satan's early efforts to do what to present to present to uh, present to present to prevent the messiah by doing what By attacking the family of Abraham, by attacking the Hebrews, by attacking the Jewish people. He was going to get rid of that so that there could be no Messiah. And so early on, you have this test of Marian. And so this little boy, this little boy who's destined to rule the Israelites. Now, who would have known that? But he's born. Who knows what's wrapped up in the life of a little child? This little boy, he's going to lead the Israelites. And he, just like Jesus, that great red dragon that you see in Revelation 12 is waiting to devour him the moment he's born. The devil was looking to devour Moses the moment he's born. The devil was looking to devour Jesus the moment he was born and using all of the powerful forces of military and governmental might to get rid of the Messiah. But God always has another plan. So this couple, this ordinary couple, how ordinary can they be? They're as ordinary as anybody. Probably live in some hut, some slave hut, next to another slave hut, somewhere near the Nile. They had two other children. But the Bible doesn't record their births, the births of Aaron and Miriam. Probably they were, they were born before the edict, because Aaron, Aaron's living. And so they're a very few women on the planet historically ever there are very few women all right very few women on the planet ever that have had to raise a family in more difficult circumstances probably everybody thinks the circumstance they're living in is the most difficult circumstance and we might like to think oh you know we're living in very difficult circumstances right now okay um There have been more difficult circumstances, and if you find those more difficult circumstances, there are more difficult circumstances than those. But this one here, it's hard to find a circumstance that could be worse than what's going on here. You must kill your son. Your slaves were working you 365 days a year in a a few minutes when we get into the next chapters, a few weeks um, they're going to be working them even harder. These are difficult, difficult, difficult times. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how difficult the times. God will always give wisdom. God will always give courage. And in this case, he gives wisdom and courage to women. Very, very, good. very good. Very good. And so the fact that Moses, Aaron, and Miriam could come from a slave hut on the Nile says an awful lot about Jochebed's influence. So she had him. She had him in this most trying of times, this most difficult of circumstances, and then she hid him. Now, her hiding him, she's taken a big risk, and she's acting on faith. Jochebed believed that God was greater than Pharaoh is the most powerful person on planet Earth. There's nobody more powerful than, than Pharaoh in the day. He can do anything he wants, and he answers to nobody. They practiced what, uh, you know, we would call maybe now, we would call it civil disobedience. Well, what's that? It's when civil authorities make a law, make a rule, make an edict, whatever it is, and you defy it. You defy it. Well, um... You need to decide, you know, what what's worth defying, what isn't worth defying. Um, I still have trouble putting on my seatbelt all the time, but I put it on. Sometimes I'm civilly disobedient, and my dashboard reminds me. Anybody have that experience? Ping, ping, ping. That's the civil disobedience meter. Well, what's the, what's the point of being civilly disobedient to that? Just why not, why not just do it? But when they ask you to kill your child, she was like, no. That's just that's one step too many. I will not do it. So if you're not going to do it, if you are going to disobey the authorities, then be prepared for the consequences. Same thing happens with Peter and John when they tell them in the book of Acts, You cannot preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, well, um, you decide whether we should obey you or God. Because I understand you have the authority to do that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You have the authority to do that. I understand that. I get it. But you decide whether we should listen to you or God because we're going to listen to God. But you can do to us what you want to do to us, but we're going to obey God. So you know there's a consequence that comes with it. When you disobey a ruling, when you disobey a law, when you disobey a directive that, cl- that, that clearly goes against the word of God, which that went against the word of God, that went against her conscience, it's not the picking and choosing of the, the law that you want or do, that you don't want, it's choosing to obey God or not obey God. And so where is that line? Well, um, people have always had to decide where those lines are what you will do, what you will not do. And in this case, and this is where it becomes clear, because there are things that aren't always clear in our subject to debate, but here it's refusing to perform something ungodly, refusing to kill every child that is born if it's a boy, just refusing to do it. She's like, I won't do it. I won't do it. Well, you might have to face the consequences. Well, for her, God was with her. God saw her faith. God had formed her conscience. And as long as they could, Jochebed and Amram, dad, they shielded this baby, Moses, from the destructive powers of the world. They kept him from all of the influences of the world. They hid him in the four walls of their little humble hut. Nothing in that home could harm that child. And thank God for homes like theirs. Thank God for homes where within the four walls of that home, nothing, nothing can harm you. But it won't last forever. Moses is not going to be able to stay in those walls forever. And that's why his mom was telling him there was Joseph. And what Joseph did was, Joseph was a good man. And Joseph's brothers hated him and they threw him in the pit. And, and all of those things and all of these circumstances worked out that he became You know, first in charge of Egypt. And that's how we ended up in Egypt, telling him the stories, telling him about God, telling him about his family, who he was, who they were. And so as long as they had him, they're protecting him. But sooner or later, sooner or later, Moses has to go out. And when Moses goes out, he's going to go to the University of the Sun, the most ungodly university that has ever been formed. And he's going to learn everything that they teach. And that great red dragon that tried to kill Moses, that great red dragon that tried to kill Jesus, hates your children and wants to destroy them. And as long as possible, as long as possible, we should shelter them and shield them from the world's destructive ways, but also prepare them. Our homes, (coughs) our moms can be where goodness and godliness are constantly taught, constantly shown during the earliest of a child's life and days. Like the Jesuits said. Give me a child for seven years. After that, you can have him. We'll just put it in him, put it in him, put it in him, put it in him, put it in him. Or maybe it was Aristotle. People argue about who came up with that. But what she does is she takes him and she puts him in an ark. That's kind of interesting. There's a few arks in the Bible. And Noah had an ark, and he pitched it on the inside and out, waterproofed it, just like she did with the little ark, put him in there. And God always honors faith. You go into the ark. Jesus later becomes known as the ark of our safety. We go into Jesus. He's pitched on the outside. He's pitched on the inside. You go in there, and it can't hurt you. Nothing can hurt you. You're saved. Sozo. You go into Jesus, and you're saved. It's a shelter from the storm. But the boat is bouncing around in the storm. But you are in the ark. You're safe. You're safe. She takes him in this little ark, and he's safe in that little ark, the place of safety. And then she held him. So she had him, she hid him, and then she holds him. Of all of the coincidences, <laughs> there's no coincidences. They're God instances. Um, we used to call them divine appointments. Of all of the coinci- coincidences that could have changed the fortunes of this weary world among the greatest are the events surrounding this baby. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what's going on. Jacobed had not left her baby in the ark alone. Her sister Miriam was watching over her. Likewise, Likewise, when we finally commit we 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 have we hide we hold and then we hand over when we commit our children to Christ God expects us to take all of the prudent measures to shield them he doesn't bless carelessness he doesn't bless lack of common sense but he makes up for it he makes up for it it's quite possible it's quite possible that that these ladies these women it's quite possible that the ladies in this house actually came up with the plan came up with the plot where they knew what was going on and they knew that pharaoh's daughter would go down there and take a bath and they knew that her heart would be touched if she found that little baby do you think maybe moses mom and his sister miriam that they think maybe they planned it out think maybe they they set it up so that she would find that baby Push it right towards where she's going to be. Let her find that little baby. Feel sorry for that baby. These women are amazing to me. I think you're getting three doses of chocolates. <laughs> These women, they are very good, they're amazing. So you can't put it past them to actually come up with a plan for Moses and come up with a plan where, like, maybe we can get him back. If we do this, maybe we can get him back in the house. It's quite possible it was their plan. It's quite, it's quite possible that they and we can be and moms can be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. So you can know the situation. You can know what's going on. You can see the things you're up against. And you can do it in a wise way or you can do it in an unwise way. I think these ladies did it in a wise way. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't a plan. Maybe it wasn't a plot. Maybe it was a coincidence, a God incident, a divine appointment. But it's possible that the slave lady living in a hut near the, near the Nile outsmarted, outwitted, and outmaneuvered the most powerful ruler on earth. That's the one I buy. That this lady, living in a hut, outsmarts, outwits, outmaneuvers the most powerful ruler the planet had seen. And as soon as Miriam sees what's happening, she comes closer to the water. Maybe, it's a, maybe that's the script. Maybe that's the script. And with presence of mind, she says to the princess, My lady, my lady. Would you like me to go get somebody to nurse that child for you? She's like, yes, please, go do that. And so he's there with mom until he's weaned. Again, Isaac in Scripture is about five years old, maybe six years old. No idea how long mom had him. But where did Moses learn all this stuff that he wrote in Genesis? Maybe God gave it to him directly. I think he learned an awful lot of it from his mom, an awful lot of it from his mom. They had the verbal tradition that they were passing down, and I think that Moses took an awful lot of that verbal tradition, and when he penned Genesis, he used an awful lot of what his mom taught him. Uh, Tell stories. There's the value there. Just tell stories. Stories are great. Just tell stories. You know, so much of the Bible is narrative. Stories. Jesus told stories. Jesus used parables. Stories. Tell stories. And. I don't know how it is that with the Bible being so much story, so much of the narrative just being story, that, that we turn it into so much like direct preaching. It's story. There's something to be learned in the story. Look at the story. What can you learn from it? And I guarantee if you take a point and try to pound that point at everybody, it's going to miss a lot of people. But you just tell the story, everybody's going to get something out of the story. Everybody's going to get something out of the story. We can't go through what we're going through right now and not some of this apply to all of us. So tell stories. Undoubtedly, she told him about Joseph. Maybe Moses wanted to be Joseph, right? If his mom told him about Joseph, and if when he writes the book of Genesis, 25%, he didn't write it, God's God's the author, he's, uh, he's the writer He's the one with the pen. 25% of Genesis is about Joseph. Maybe maybe Moses wanted to be Joseph. Joseph saved the the Jewish people. Joseph saved the family of Abraham. He saved the Hebrew people. And then Moses, it said that he wanted to save the Hebrew people. The stories, just tell them the stories. When Ernie said, (laughs) what did Ernie say? That was the most creative dismissal that we've had this year so far. Where he said, what did he say? Just go learn. Well, a lot of a lot of what the kids are learning is stories. We're telling them the stories. Tell them the story of Joseph. And maybe you'll grow up and you'll want to be like Joseph. So what are the conclusions here? Quite a few. Let's um, bring the band up and then we'll, we'll close with a song. And then we're going to give out some flowers um, to... Um, to moms, and to women, all women. There you go. All right, so uh, somebody can run and tell those kids they're supposed to be coming out right now. So here's some conclusions. One of them is that Moses never forgets that he's a Hebrew. He never forgets that. You see, the universities of Egypt, the temptations of the palace... The lure of position and power and wealth—they can't have Moses, can't have them. So whatever we're up against doesn't matter. The, the, what, what people are being taught, people are like, oh, you hear what people—it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Oh, you see how long kids are—it doesn't matter. Moms are still the most powerful force on planet Earth. Women. All right. I want to read you this. This was uh, from Tony Compolo's wife, and she was a she was a stay at home mom, and he was a college professor. And she said when she would go to all of the gatherings, the evening gatherings where all of the muckety mucks and smarties and you know everybody else were all together. She said, they always used to make me feel small because they would say, you know, what do you do? And she said, I just started feeling like, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You know, and here's everybody I'm hobnobbing with. They're all successful. So here's what she said. I wrote it down. She said, "I, I finally came up with something to say to all of those people when they asked me what I was doing. And she said, I am socializing two homo sapiens. In the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition, in order that they might be instruments of the transformation of the social order into the pedagogically prescribed utopia. <laughs> What's she saying? I'm trying to raise a couple of good kids. <laughs> I'm trying to raise a couple of good kids. And so, um, so what did we say? We said that your children, your children may be able to remove themselves from. Your presence—they may be able to remove themselves from your influence, but they can't remove themselves from your prayers. Can't do it. Can't do it. And so, I—I um, I am grateful for my mom. Um, Rachel, she, Rachel said, "I have the microphone, so I can say I'm grateful for my mom." <laughs> So I'm grateful for my mom. So let's stand, and we're going to sing, and then we're going to uh, we're going to honor every every woman. We're going to honor every woman who's here, and so here's what I need. See that you get extra chocolate too. So whoever did it, here's what I need. So the children are coming down, and children are going to come and bring stuff to their moms, you know, as a token of their love and of their appreciation of um, just to. Physically, publicly acknowledge mom in women. But um, everybody here isn't a mom, all the women, all the women are not moms. Um, but we're gonna honor you too. We're gonna honor you too. But, so what I need for that is I need five or six, I need five or six masked men because we're gonna ask you if you would deliver some flowers and some chocolate to women. And there's a good chance, cause there's a good chance that some of these ladies don't want you breathing on them. So, so if you're a masked man, could you come up here and uh, let's sing and wait for the men to get up here and wait for the children to get up here. And then we will honor, honor, honor because that's what the Bible tells us